Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing here, joined as always by Nick, the Sultan of Steel Sutherland, founder of MindFit, um, meditation extraordinaire. Nico, how are you, mate? I'm at one with myself. <laughs> this is going to make for a great podcast. You're just going to sit there in stillness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll snap out of it. I, I literally just came from a meditation. So um, I am very grounded. I'm very peaceful, but I'm, I'm excited because we get to spend an hour with um, James, who is a, I'm going to call you a friend of mine, James, because we, yeah. we have known each other for many years and, and it's just, you do live in Wales at the moment. Um, and so you, we are, we are worlds apart of the other side of the world. So we don't get to catch up that often. So I'm, I'm genuinely excited just to hang out with a friend, two friends today, Ryan, I guess you're a friend, but uh, yeah, two friends. James, welcome to the show. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Nick. Yeah, good to see you guys. It's been too long to be caught up. But yeah, we'll put you down as friends. Um, definitely, yeah. absolutely. We got a beer together. So I've been to the cricket as well. So uh, oh, yes, absolutely, yes. absolutely can't. So yeah, no, guys, looking forward, looking forward to be on it. And whatever I can do to help people, just count me in. And Nick, that, Nick, that, Nick, that, sorry, can you can you just confirm with our listeners and, and watchers? This is the most uh, technologically prepared guest that we've had on the show. <laughs> It's <laughs> that's, that's like, like Steven Spielberg is set up, set up whatever's happening on that end. It's like it's it's 6D, it's it's 4K. It's, I know. I feel like a pixely piece of shit over here. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I didn't mean to put you down straight away first thing in the morning I, I, or evening. I, 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 feel, I feel like VHS over here. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Nick, you're like, you're, you're at your fucking bedside lamp trying to light. It's like you're trying to tell a ghost story around a campfire. <laughs> now, kiddos. James, was the, the cricket, the cricket we went to, was that, um, it was the Boxing Day test. Boxing Day test, it was Australia, Pakistan. It's the one when uh, old Nathan one, Lyon. Yeah, Nathan Lyon. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan, it's like Nathan Lyon took that wicket. Everyone just stood up for Gary, and like he just got that wicket. It's just that was ridiculous. I can't believe I cheered for Australia. Never in a million years have I cheered for the Aussies before in my life. But I jumped up and celebrated for that one. But but we had this was this was hilarious. Us we had no idea what was going on, and apparently we found out after there was this massive Facebook group of like ten thousand people that said on on this over on this ball we're all going to stand up on Gary Lyons bowling and cheer him on and celebrate and so we saw everyone standing up and James and I were like oh well, let's follow the sheep and we stood yeah. up as well what's going on and he got a fucking wicket on the ball <laughs> really the MC MCG lost its shit it that did was, as you really would what a moment it was absolutely incredible. It was absolutely nuts. It was like, I was like, what the hell is going on? Like me being there, I wanted to go to the MCG for the boxing test anyway. And I was like, okay, I'll come along. Being a, you know, even though I'm Welsh, I support England cricket over here. And like a big, big cricket fan. I was like, yeah, go, go and see it. Even I started cheering, got swapped, you know, you know, washed away with a whole emotion. It was brilliant. I'll always, I'll always remember that day. You, you couldn't have scripted it though. Like this, this obscure Facebook group on this, you know, at this exact ball. I wonder how they chose up. that ball. I don't know, just randomly. And That's a good question, actually. But, 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 but Gary, Gary delivered. 
yeah. delivered on that bond. You must have felt the energy. That's the energy behind the crowd. And oh, the people appreciate it. The people appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, that's unreal. Even this pom appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, James, look, tell, tell us a little bit about our uh, Strength Matters. Um, like always, myself and Nick, we don't do too much research on the show so i um i'm really interested to find out about your business how long you've been doing it and what you guys do yeah no it's so i've been doing strength matters now for like on well it became strength matters in 2015 um after i put the word strength matters on a t-shirt and realized this is a far better name for a business than kettlebell fever because people started <laughs> buying more of those t-shirts than any other t-shirt we'd ever sold so that was that's kind of how the name came about but we started about in 2011, 2012, uh, and it's just morphed into this uh, idea that we help people over 30 lose weight, get stronger, and live better. It's as simple as that. Um, we do it with you know coaching, we have books, we have a print magazine um, that we put out, put out every month and everything. And uh, yeah, it's just like a case of just helping the over 30s crowd getting healthy. And as in all always, you know, we call, we we talk about the four pillars of being healthy: health movement, strength, uh, and cardio, but mindset and everything is important. That's we include that under health, to be honest with you. Um, so we know it fits in with everything. So we just, yeah, just helping good people get healthier, live better, and lose a bit of weight in the process. And why you've people also, are you've also got a Sorry, Hash, you've also got a podcast that you only get the cream of the crop on, don't you? Oh, Best yeah, we, yeah, we do. Yeah. So for those out there listening, get on the Strength Matters podcast. The highest caliber of guests appear on there. Well, I was shocked when you said you were a guest. I'm like, it's called Strength Matters. Why would Noodle Arm Sutherland be on a show like that? <laughs> Des and Troy turned up and absolutely rocked it. Yeah, exactly. No, it was, do you know, it's it's funny. We had, it, I think you've had a, quite a few people message and contact you out to the back of the podcast as well. But we've had a lot of people talk about us because it touched on stuff that we don't, you know, in the fitness world, we don't really touch on, particularly mental health, being open about feelings, talking about certain things. So yeah, it was great. So and yeah, straight man of the podcast. Yeah, and that's why I wanted you on today because when I went on there, um, you know, and I talk to clients about if you. If you have a body, you know, you're going to train it. But if you have a mind, you need to train it too. So the mind and body aren't too dissimilar in how we need to look after them. And, and you know, if you've got physical health, you know, you've got a body. If, you, if you've got a mind, you've got mental health. So um, we talk about how they all impact on each other, what we, what we, what we take on board physically and mentally and the mm -hmm. nutrition for our mind and body. Um, but you know how much we're moving affects how we feel. How we feel affects how much we move. You know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, it'd be, it's going to be great to have you on just to sort of open up that physical health thing. And and if you want to dip back into what actually got you into kettlebell heaven or whatever you were calling <laughs> it back at the time, yeah, hey? kettlebell fever. That's kettlebell the one back in the day. It was, was a bit of this. With the That's what I'm getting the vibes. Yeah. <laughs> But it was funny, like it, it, just in the name, it's quite funny how a name can change and everything. Like we, because when we had Kettle Fever, we're doing the same sort of things, like doing products, courses, you know, books and everything like this. But we, because of those, the word kettlebell, we only attracted a kettlebell audience. That's why we changed to Strength Matters. It was just so, we so became so niche that there's more to what we did and it just wasn't what we were anymore. And it was, it's like the, the difference in like the, that name change was like day and night. It was like, whew, it was like the massive whoosh afterwards. Uh, once we change the name, because people just appreciate it more. Plus, strength of mind matters. It, it's it's so many connotations in play and stuff like that in the whole thing. It's, strength isn't just about physical strength. It's your mind. It's just anything you can think about. You know, strength just matters. 
Yeah, and what what got you into this business, James? What what led you to you know this career that you this journey you've been on for the last ten or so years? Well, it's I've always done sports. Like cricket's always been my main sport, with a bit of rugby and a bit of soccer in there as well. Um, but like when I, when I was actually in the police, I was in the police in London for ten years, and I was struggling with a really bad back. To be honest with you, uh, my back was just like a complete. I was like a, almost like a cripple. Like I was spasming all the time in my back. I'd, I'd go for a month or two, be fine. Then I'd be out for two or three months. Um, and that was because of the way we were training. Cause like some of the units and stuff I was, I was working in back then, we had to train for an hour a day. That was part of our contract. And um, we were just like meatheads in the gym, going in and like bros, like bros, just like just lifting, deadlifting, bench pressing, doing all the stuff that you wanted to do. Um, and it was like, yeah, it was just, it wasn't, it was just didn't counterintuitive to what we were trying to do. I wasn't really, didn't know what I was training, how I was training. So uh, long story short, like I was sick of being injured and seeing the doctors and seeing the physios who couldn't help me. So I tried to figure it out on my own. So I got my bosses to pay for my personal training course in the police and they did. Well and they <laughs> other courses and sent me around the world to go and learn from different people to bring it back into the, into the police. And when I did, you know, we helped reduce injury rates by about 20, 30%, oh, wow. long-term sickness rates as well. Because instead of just lifting stuff, we're focusing on the whole body, like how well you move, how well your cardio is, how well, how well you strength train and the quality of your strength training. And that's how it started. Like suddenly people ask me outside the gym, hey, how do you do this? What do you do here? And it just took off from there to the point where it was just before the, the, um, the Olympics in London 2012 where I, I was like, oh, do I really want to do the Olympics or do I want to get out and start my business? And that's the choice I made. I left the police and then here I am, you know, almost 10 years later, uh, still still doing it and still the best decision I made is to leave the police actually. Amazing, amazing. And and why the, the focus on over 30? You see that as kind of the after 30 being quite a critical point when it comes to people's physical health and strength training? Yeah, it's interesting. It was we, we got to the over 30s bit in the last two years when we just dived into all our data uh, and all our like email lists and the people and survey people, the age groups we were working with. And it just came back that most of the people were over 30. Um, and all these people were more interested in doing health as focusing on their long-term health rather than aesthetics. And we always found that like... We, we can all relate, most guys can relate to this, that, you know, particularly at our age group, we grew up with Arnie in like Conan and like Terminator and like Predator, all these movies back here where Arnie was just looking ripped and we're like, yeah, we were some of that. So we picked up dumbbells back in the days because we wanted to look like Arnie and we can all relate to that. There's some like, even now we still want aesthetic, to look aesthetically good. But in our 20s, we don't care how we get there. We just want to look aesthetically good. And that's, you know, we look good for the beach. We look good for the women. You know, look good in our shirts. When we go out on the, on the piss on the Friday, Saturday nights, whatever, whenever it is. You know, and it was, our focus is how good do we look? We don't care over how well we lift something or what happens because we can recover quite quickly. Whereas what I discovered when you get into your 30s, and this is also my personal experience. When I was, actually, when I met Nick, actually, down in, down in Manalyza, down that way, it was like, I was in my 30s, I was traveling a lot, I was overweight, um, I was stressed to high hell for multiple different reasons. And you realize actually, your 30s is probably one of your most important decades to set you up for the long term. And now what we, we compounded this by asking a lot of our clients who were in their 50s and 60s at the time, saying, look, what's the, what's the few things that you'd go back in time and say you wish you did better or wish you should have started earlier? And they all said, I wish I stretched more. I wish I focused on my health more in my early, late 20s, early 30s. And we're like, actually, there's a good point here. We can, we can learn from the mistakes of our elders 
and like focus on here. And plus, if I'm being brutally honest, most people in their 20s want to spend their money on the piss or other stuff or random gadgets and stuff, whereas most people are happy to invest in their money. I've got the money as well in their 30s and 40s to invest in coaching and training, which is a big part of it. Um, and, they just, and they start to value the importance of health. Like it's health comes first. We start thinking about the long term. You know, um, again, for me, in my 30s, people around me were starting to die. I was going to more funerals than I was weddings, if I'm being honest. And a lot of the time, there was a few, you know, my police mates who, were, who passed away, but then there was also people who died in the late 30s of heart attacks, I knew. And like other things like this, and we like, no, actually, this is the market we want to serve. This is the market, you know, people we want to help the most. Uh, and we can make the biggest impact on. So that's kind of why we've gone to the 30s, more of a long-term message and go, look, let's, you know, realize this now is like, we haven't got long to live on this planet anymore. And we've got to change our mindset. We're not indestructible. We've got to change the way you train and focus for the long-term health. So you're still rocking. Like I still want to be rocking my snowboarding when I'm 100 years old. That's my ultimate goal, is still be snowboarding like some of those crazy Austrian guys and, who are skiers. Like you see couples in their 90s in Austria still ski. Like it's, it's crazy. It's like, are we doing that when I'm 100 years old? So that's kind of the long-term focus and shift that we did. And, and it's, why that's, we're a, it's an interesting intersection, the, the aches and pains and the disposable income. You're like, all right, well, you know, I've, I've, I've drank, I've, I've abused this to, to yeah. some degree. Now um, I can actually start investing it because I understand that, oh, shit, it's actually quite fragile. It's the only one I have. It's got to get me from here to there, hopefully. Um, so that's where we start looking after a little bit more and understanding that big muscles doesn't equate to being healthy. No, not at all. And that's that's the thing we see and we... We, we see more than anything, like I, crikey, it's, it's, some of the stuff we do, we take actual, like I'm, a, I'm a computer science geek at heart, so I like to see raw data. So we take, when we assess people, we look at the data from it, we, we, we give them a score, we, we call it the everyday athlete score, is what we call it. And we break it down into these four elements, health, movement, strength, and cardio. And the heart is, I think, is the most important muscle in the body, particularly as you get older, the heart attacks being one of the biggest causes of death around the world. But time after time after time, cardio scores the poorest out of all our tests. You know, if you're looking at the average scores, I think 18%, it's down to 12% in America, because cardio is like just not the done thing over there. Uh, plus they don't walk anywhere, I've discovered. They just, they just drive. Um, and it's such a low barrier down there, it's, it's crazy. We've got to focus yeah, we've got to focus on the heart, focus on long-term health, and it starts with that. So it's it's way more than being strong. Like it's strength of heart, strength of mind, strength of character, all these different things. And um, as, as we're talking about pre-podcast, you know, we, we talk about how they all impact on each other, the mental, physical, and nutritional health. And you're talking about the heart. And if, if someone's mental health isn't in shape, if they're not self-managing and self-regulating their emotions, they're going to be pumping you know, cortisol and adrenaline through their system. It's, it's going to be making them feel very unhappy they're going to go and yep. make poor decisions nutritionally they're going to yep. be sitting on the couch watching netflix they're not going to be up moving so yeah that healthy mind healthy body sort of thing that they need to be equal partners and and forever and a day everyone's prioritized it's funny you know I, I do these three interlocking circles and we give people a score out of 10 what score would you give you mental health your physical health and nutritional health physical and nutritional is usually okay mental health is usually a two or a three mm-hmm. and i say all right now how many hours a week are you investing in those other two and they're like oh yeah well i, I cook food and i go to the gym or i go for a walk i do this and how many hours a week are you putting into your mental health 
doing what? (laughs) (laughs) But yet they're they're expecting to be healthy and to be motivated and to be up and about. And it's just the math doesn't add up. Well, a lot of of people um, think that if they look better aesthetically, then that'll make them happier. Yeah. Or that, you know, people will love them more. And um, unfortunately, it doesn't tend to work out that way because it's, I'm sure you see it, James, kind of that that pursuit of some sort of purely aesthetic goal. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you've got all these other pillars in place. But if it's purely yeah. aesthetic, it um, it's it's never enough. You know, and I've, I've had people and they would do competitions and they'd be at like, you know, 6% body fat. And it's like, oh, I've got this pocket of water, you know, here with veins everywhere else. And it's like, it's never enough. It's like, you know, I used to be a, a drug addict. It's like going for a drug and it's like, you, it's never quite enough. You're always searching for more. And I think a lot of people run into that. Yeah, 100%. And it's funny when you talk about elite fitness, let's take the bodybuilders who had 6% body fat as an example. That's, that is what we can count as elite fitness of that, of that for that particular sport. That's closer to death than it is health. It's on the other end of the spectrum. Like, and that goes a lot the same with a lot of elite sport. Elite athletes are not necessarily healthy. Health and elite fitness are two very different things. Elite fitness is pushing the boundaries of physical fitness to the <coughs> absolute utmost, but it doesn't mean they're healthy. You know, you talk it's about women- so many, you know, so, many, so many people are reliant on exercise to get the serotonin levels up and, and increase the, how they're feeling, but yep. they become they become codependent on that exercise. So if they break a leg, all of a sudden they can't go to the gym, they can't exercise, their mental health just spirals back down again. It's exactly, and, that, and that's the thing we're seeing more and more and more. Like you talk about you know being a drug addict, like in the sense of like, well, a lot of people use fitness as a drug. Like you've got, you've got you, there's two elements to this as well. You've got people who, the cardio junkies, who want to push themselves to like burn out all the time. They want to run as hard as they can and they feel good because it gives them that run as high. But in reality, it's a drug. It's just like fueling it. It's not actually good for the body in any way, shape or form. It's putting more stress into the body. Like I'm talking to the guys who want to do a 5K, a PR 5K every single run that they do. Like they're trying to burn out. They're just burning sugars as fast as they possibly can to get to that run as high. But guess what? That run as high becomes harder and harder and harder to get and you're chasing it more and more and more. So you actually Sounds build familiar. up. <laughs> you know, honestly, it it's no way to for you know, to improve. Like you, you don't. That's not how the elite train. Full stop. You don't do that. You just can't go here. But most people do. They think that's the way to train. Same with all these hit workouts you see on YouTube and like everyone loves a hit workout in class. It's exactly the same. It's like crack cocaine. It's like crack cocaine. Literally, it's like you, you get that. But you know, CrossFit is a good example as well to some extent. Like CrossFit's got some really good things about it, but. One of the things a lot of people do is they, they're working out to failure every single time. So they're teaching the body to fail each and every time, but they're pushing that high. They're pushing that adrenaline rush, that junky adrenaline rush to get the high every time, which is why most people after 12 to 18 months break down and never go back to CrossFit again. And why the vast majority of people over 35 don't do CrossFit because they're burnt out. They can't sustain that lifestyle yep. um, with what they're trying to do. So it is, it's, it's just a fascinating thing you've got to think about because to get to elite performance, you need to build a base and build it up slowly and get to the top and peak at the top. So people always just see the iceberg effect at the top of what the workouts, like these guys are doing the hard ass workouts, um, but they don't see the 20 years of development underneath to get them to that stage in the first place. They try and copy. I, mean, I would have had a similar thing to you, you know, being ex-military and, and the way we trained and, and we used to have these certain tests that we had to pass to, yep. to be able to stay combat ready and everything, BFAs and CFAs. And 
Um, I used to love running so much, and it was you know six k or you know, we used to have this two point four k test, the beep test. I, I love mm-hmm. the beep test. I got up to that sixteen point five one day, the beep test, and I was just smash the PT, and I'm like, yeah, and, <laughs> and 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 you keep chasing it, and you keep trying to get better and better and better at it because um, it, it feels so good when you when you break through and you know running 2.4k in like seven minutes 11 seconds yeah. i think and I, but i was like yeah that's good but i want to get it under seven minutes and, and so you know i'd, I'd start obsessing at what i'm eating beforehand and what i'm eating afterwards and you know it had become an obsession it was very mm-hmm. out of balance so everyone looked at me and goes fuck nick is super healthy nick is super fit nick is super you know but I wasn't because I wasn't in balance. That's the key word, isn't it? Balance, because we're talking about it's these both extremes. It's like this, this yeah. at this end, we're like someone who's far too sedentary, someone who's just eating crap every day and needs to start moving and, and getting that going. And then we're talking about this other end of the spectrum, which is unhealthy. But you know, that our our classical ideas of of health or fitness people look at that and go, and so there's kind of this positive reinforcement as well. Like for you, you know, what did you get on the beep test? 16 and a half, holy shit. So you're like, yeah, yeah they validated me. I need more. Like it's, it's funny, like the, the classic questions you get from people are, what's your 5K time? What's your 10K time? How much do you bet? How much what do you, you bench? bench how, much, yeah. how much do you deadlift? And like each time, now my, my response to them each time is, I don't care. But if I, but I always say like, oh, they go, look, what, they look, what, I, I don't care. <laughs> but then I, I flip in the conversation and go to them, okay, look, I got an idea. If you ran a 5K, 5K as hard as you could, do you reckon you could do that again, like after like equal rest? And most people couldn't, because that's the biggest thing. The shows of people in their recovery, ability to recover and be healthy is their ability to recover quickly. And most people, you know, you can do it as simple as a test, like a, I could take a row, a concept two row, do a 500 meter row, rest the same time as it took you to row those 500 meters, do it again and try and get the same time. If you're not within five, 10%, it means your recovery is way off um, and you, you need to be focusing on your health and the ability to recover faster, not your actual time. Because if we focus on the ability to recover, your time will come as a, as a consequence of that as well. So it's-, I, it's- I- I talk to clients all the time about, you know, I use Arnold Schwarzenegger as an example. Yeah. And and his, uh, his his success in becoming Mr. Olympia, an equal part of that was his resting. His sleeping was was just as in crucial, was, was an important element as all the weights and everything, all the time he spent in the gym. The time he spent asleep was equally as important because it allowed him to recover and to- There's to, also a, a chemical element to that which well, aids in the recovery as well. No, well, because, because you know, I, I got his, the, the encyclopedia of bodybuilding yeah. when I first started lifting weights. That's a great book, by the way. But, you mm. know, we're talking, you know, him doing two, two and a half hour workouts, heavy weight training six days a week. And the, 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 the ones of us who aren't chemically enhanced, that's going to overtrain you, <laughs> you know? Yes, but my point my point is that it's, it's resting is equally yeah. as important as doing the work. So recovery is, is, needs to be seen equally as, as the working out. Yeah, it was funny that's- when you talked about the, sorry, James, about how, you know, how much do you bench, bro? What's your 5K? And I remember I have had people come in and maybe they've just started doing work on their mental and emotional health and normally young guys. But yeah. they get so excited and literally and someone let me know if someone said this to you, Nick, but I'm young guys gonna be, what's the longest you've meditated for? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the spiritual, what are you bench, bro? And I'm yeah, like, I, I, it's not the focus. I, I, 
I had someone say, um, oh, um, how, how long have you been happy for? I think it was. It was just this, how long have you been happy? And, and do, do, you, do you ever not react? If someone said, do you, do you ever not get angry? And I'm like, I am nowhere near enlightened yet. I still have my, my human. I've voice. seen you on the golf course. So I can confirm to all listeners, there's some, some reactions going on there. <laughs> I don't believe so. I think their reactions are to your reactions. <laughs> don't throw me under the bus. I'm throwing you under. You're right under. Get under there. But it's interesting. Like we guys said before, like one of the things that we've realized, we're talking about nutrition being really important. What we've discovered, like this, whether this is right or wrong, this is our approach to do it. What we've discovered that most people over 30 who come to us looking to lose weight, you know, just live a bit better, be healthier, um, they're not in the mindset ready to do nutrition, if that makes sense. So we have to do baby steps to get them towards it because it's just too much for them to take on board. Okay, it's, it is incredible, like, the emotional distress it can actually cause them uh, if they're not in a good place to do it. So what we've, what we've done now is that we always say nutrition for us, don't get me wrong, I think nutrition is one of the most important things you can do. But what we've discovered, and we, we looked at this, again, using data, looking at our clients, we found, we, we looked at, we try to find commonalities between our best performers, like the more elite type of guys we're training, and the, the ones who are just starting out, like all the commonalities, we can't compare them on training or running or anything like that at all. But we then worked out, well, what's the three things, what, what are three things that we can, we can all need, we all need to do. And what we broke it down to was walk, water, and sleep. Like no matter how elite you are, you still need to walk, walk a lot. You still need to drink water and you still need to sleep. So we started comparing the data on those three things alone. And what we found was high performers are walking on average between seven to 10,000 steps a day. They're drinking seven plus glasses of water a day, um, you know, between two to three liters. But you know, we work, we work those seven glasses. And then they're sleeping at least seven hours a night. Uh, whereas the non-belite performers, they're sleeping less than six hours. They're drinking maybe one to two glasses of water if they're lucky a day. And they're literally walking less than 3,000 steps a day. And what we discovered and what we thought, we, we trialed this thing to begin with and we realized like, we need to focus on these three things first to help people get to it. And that's what we did. And what we found was people are in a better place long-term to tackle training their mental health has improved because they're drinking more water. They're going for a walk, <laughs> getting some vitamin D, getting some fresh air, peace of mind. That's how we always start things off. Then we get them to drink some more water because people just don't, well, particularly in the UK and you know non-hot countries, they don't drink enough. They drink coffee mostly or beer or you know, whatever it is. They don't, they, or they equate coffee with water or they equate anything else. Like we had some poor lady, this is a, oh, it's, you know, she was drinking 18 cans of Coke, real full fat Coke a day. Uh, it was mostly, most, she needed counseling and we, we, we sent her from away. It was an emotional trigger, which was helping her deal with an abusive relationship actually. Um, but she was drinking 18 cans of Coke a day. And then, you know, most people aren't sleeping seven hours a night because if, if you don't get the sleep in, you're not in a good me mental headspace. We know for a fact that the body craves more calories, no matter what, it, and it comes from junk food mostly, by up to between four to 800 calories extra a day, which if you look over the course of a week, you're looking at two to 3,000 calories extra a week. We've got no hope in helping people do a nutrition plan, which is actually one of the most emotionally and physically mentally taxing things to do. So we found that once you've got people in a good place with this, they're training it more regularly, 
by drinking water, 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 sleeping more, and walking more, they're baking, they're making better food choices automatically, and it, it, it's just the next progression into nutrition talk after that. So we think nutrition is so important, but we're finding people over thirty who are so super stressed, they've got no time to think. We focus on these basics first, get them right, and then we tie into nutrition, and then they seem to fast track their results much quicker if we take the slower approach first to begin with. Yeah, it's um, it's. I don't know where your mind goes, Huss, but my mine when James is speaking and you're talking about nutrition, we're talking about trying to change people's eating. People are in a relationship with food; they're in a relationship with exercise. And if you take away the 18 cans of Coke, that's going to trigger her, or she's going to replace it with something else. So, for us, it all starts with mental health and looking at if you're in a healthy relationship with yourself. A lot of people don't value themselves. They're like. Oh, I'm not important enough to to spend time and energy and money on. I, I don't. I don't really matter. I don't really care. There's no self love, no self worth, no self respect, no self discipline. All of these critical self parts aren't in place. Yet so many people are walking around being told you have to eat better, you have to train better, and and if if that foundation isn't solid and in place and able to support all that stuff, they're just going to keep failing uh, and develop that failure mentality. So it's. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at the uh, the relationship people have with with the, the things in their life. Would you agree, yeah, us? Hundred percent. The relationship with food and what people don't talk about enough is the relationship with exercise. They 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 see exercise almost as a punishment because the media and everything. Everyone's doing this quick twenty minute hit workout, the punishment type workout, kill things, which is great for the people who are already fit and healthy. For people who are just you know want to get started or something, the last thing they want to do is be beaten down and told how crap they are doing something. Like I, I don't. But all, all this military stuff doesn't help either. Like all the SAS no. shows and all this stuff. No, it and, doesn't. And I think we, I think we spoke about in the other podcast has about people's association with the word discipline, and we have a terrible association with the word discipline because we get disciplined as kids, and you know, and so it's seen as punishment. That word you just used, but. The if we can reevaluate and assess our, our association with discipline and see the benefits that come from being disciplined, it means mm-hmm. getting up at a certain hour, creating these routines, setting a goal and being disciplined enough to work towards that goal and, and not having expectations, but just, okay, my, my, my goal for this week is seven glasses of water a day. Just, just that's all I'm going to focus on. That's all I, that's the only box I need to tick. And if I can start building my discipline in that area, then it's going to be easy to do these other things. But yeah. people don't. They go, I have to do it all at once. Or as soon as you say discipline, they're like subconsciously like, no, no, I used to get punished. I don't know. Oh, it's going to be hard or it's going to be, you know. Oh, that's that's the association, isn't it? Discipline and I'm going to be punished. They kind of yeah. have been gelled together or conditioned that way. So it's about separating those. I think it's great, James, what you've done by working out based on the data and going through all these clients, like what are these three levers that we can pull that are going to kickstart everyone on their journey? Because there's there's so many different diets out there. There's so many different training methods out there. And you know, you'll agree, but the, the number one with all of this stuff and same with what we do, Nick, is adherence. If you're not mm-hmm. going to adhere to it, then it's not going to happen. That's why people go, oh, I heard you can 
lose weight on a keto diet or a carnivore diet. So, yeah, you can, but good luck sticking to it for any meaningful period of time. So if you can just say to someone, get that water intake up, get your sleep seven hours minimum and um, get the steps up, you know, above 7,000 or 10,000, then it's like, okay. And then like Nick said, when people do that and see that they can do that, then they're like, okay, what else can I do? And then comes the nutrition because, yeah, if we give people too much, adherence is gone. Exactly. And that's also that's improve that. Sorry, James, if you can. No, sorry, if you can, can that, and that's the thing with us. Like the way we, we, we wanted to find a way to help people remember it quickly and for us to go back to basics to remember to help with people, things aren't working. So the way we, we call it is we, we call it WWS, walk, water, sleep, and the, and the triple seven rule. You know, walk 7,000 steps a day, drink seven glasses of water. I don't care what size glasses, just drink seven glasses of water and have seven Shopping. hours of sleep. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. But like you have, if you focus on, on that, get people to think about this, because people who are walking just 2,000 steps to them, 10,000 steps is a bloody long way away. Like that, they can't physically imagine themselves getting to there. So we get the 3,000 and they get the 7,000. Great. It's not the end goal, it's a starting point and a baseline for us trying to get to. And what we always find is when we go back to people who are struggling to, you know, people who like you've lost a lot, lots of weight and we're now on a maintenance program, but they start to put a bit of weight on. The first thing we check now is WWS, what's happening here? And I guarantee you, nine times out of 10, it's this area here. This, this has fallen off the way, they're not walking enough. They're not getting enough sleep. They're not, certainly not drinking enough water. So it's it's a it's a it's like our go-to place to begin with for everybody, no matter how elite you are or where you're at. We pull it back to here to start with here, and then we go back up again and go back up the scale, building on uh, you know each step and each foundation as we move along. We have the same thing in our maintenance program, James, and it's um uh, it's as soon as someone's falling off the wagon, you know, getting more reactive or whatever. Um, I go, okay, are, are you prioritizing yourself? You know, we've got the, the five fundamentals. The first fundamental is prioritizing your mental, physical, nutri nutritional health. Something mm -hmm. we suggest to clients is just waking up, doing a 15-minute meditation, like have a glass of water, fall out of your bed onto the floor, onto a cushion, sit there for 15 minutes and just do a meditation. Just sit and focus on your breath, ground yourself, mentally sort of prepare yourself for the day. Go and eat a mindful breakfast. Don't just consume and grab a coffee as you're rushing out the door. Mm -hmm. uh, and do a bit of stretching while you're on the floor. Just sort of start moving around. And um, it's incredible what happens when people spend the first half an hour of the day. They actually set themselves up for the day. They meet the day instead of snooze, 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 fuck, coffee, yell at kids, speed on the way to work. I'm going to be late already. Adrenaline. It's like you're paying catch up all day from there. Totally. Yeah. And I, I was, I, when I was working in Shiva Som in Thailand, I, I met a, uh, a amazing guy from the UK, actually, is a Qigong instructor. And he was talking about the studies that have been done into longevity of life and how it's based on if you're in a sitting position on the floor, how many touch points you need in order to stand. Mm -hmm. And he said, the more touch points, it's 10 years off your life. Yep. And he said, Asian people live longer because they're so accustomed to not sitting on chairs or couches or anything. They actually sit on the ground and they, they, they lift themselves up um, off the ground so much and they squat to go to the toilet instead of sitting on a toilet bowl. Like we're so lazy in the Western yeah, world. Yeah, it's honestly, we, we, cause, cause we go like we, when we assess in like health movements, one of the one of the assessments we look in the health assessments we look at a couple of key things. We are, we're looking at like simple things like your body fat, which you can stick on a pair of scales. We look at your resting heart rate and your active heart rate to tell us how well your heart is performing. 
and that, which is part of like the mortality test as we call it. And then the other one was like what you call the sit and rise test we use. It's a, it's a Brazilian study that showed that for every point, of, you know, every, when you're over 50 years old, for every hand that you, or limb or part you use to get up and down off the floor with, right, it takes six and a half years off your life. Um, you, you give you a score of one to ten, naught to ten, and like I think it literally is if you if you score less than eight, you're two and a half times more likely to die in the next six to ten years than you would be if you had eight or more points. Um, and if you score less than three points, you're like between five to seven more times more likely to die because you haven't got the mobility, flexibility, power to weight ratio, strength to even help you even to get up get up off the floor if you fall down, let alone if you fall down itself. It's, and fall is one of the biggest killers in the world totally. uh, out there. It's one of the things I saw in the police a lot, actually. It's one of the most rewarding calls I used to go to was these, what we call collapse behind locked doors. And it was like somebody had fallen over. Sometimes there'd be people in there who'd be on the floor for two to three days, mm. like, and, and too embarrassed to call their family and friends because they didn't want to, ha- they wanted to try and get up off the floor themselves. In the end, they gave up and said, yep, yeah, no, we're going to call the police because they'd leave these, um, pendants around the neck to help them get up off the floor. Uh, sometimes it was just too late, but it was, uh, it's crazy how that does impact long-term and longevity we want to look at, because I guarantee you now the sit and rise, if you Google, if you Google sit and rise test, Brazilian get up test, you can find it on Google anywhere. Most people in their thirties could not do it, like literally cannot do it. And it's, that's crazy. I think you and I had this conversation, James, about, um, training and how we don't sort of tend to train for what we do each day like you go to the gym how how many times a day are we doing this it's exactly. not many how many times a day are we doing this not that many nick, so, nick, uh, nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice nice ass but it's it's, it's a, like so if you're on the ground that's where a push-up is going to help you you know yep. it's a it's a, if you fall over do some exercises that are actually going to use strengthen the muscles and condition the muscles to how we actually need to use them in our day-to-day life and and unfortunately we're all sitting for far too long so we're all out here now so we need to do more to get back in that word balance yeah. we need to do more back exercises i imagine well yeah, it's, it's it's a mixture of everything the thing i see more than anything is the ability for people to recover because the older you get, your ability to recover diminishes, uh, no matter what you do. And I'll take, take in like the average, you know, middle age, you know, I say middle age, guy between 35 and 50, just, just take the average guy there. Wife, two kids, how high powerful, maybe stress type job, right? And he wants to work out. But think of the stresses involved with his work, life, lack, probably lack of sleep as well, everything tied into it. Yeah, he's going to do like a new fancy HIIT workout that all the young personal trainers are telling him to do because it's the best way to lose fat. The stress he's putting on his body is completely detrimental to what he's doing here. It's not going to make him recover faster. It's going to make him burn out faster. And it's going to make more likely to lead to to injuries way faster. What kind of movement would you recommend for that type of person? Yeah, honestly, like walking, uh, it sounds sounds so simplistic. But if, I, if someone's to ask me what I, what's the best exercise to give to people who are in that sort of level here, I'd say go for a 30 to 45 minute walk daily. Start there. <laughs> Let's just absolutely start down it back. And they, they look at me going, I just paid you money to tell me to walk more. I go, yep, yeah, pretty much. That's <laughs> what this, is, this, is where our, this, is, this is where our first fundamental kicks in though. And people go, but I don't have time. And the same with meditation, you know, it's a classic. Yep. Um, t- tell me, tell me how to be happier and how to stress less. Go and meditate for an hour a day. Oh, I don't have time. 
all right, go and meditate for two hours a day then. You know, it's, yeah. it's that uh, I don't have time. I'm not worth investing in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly right. And, like, and they go, well, I, haven't got to, I want to go to the gym. Well, I haven't got time. Okay, well, well, they haven't got time to walk. So where do I go? Where do I start with? I can't help you. And people have got to be in the right mindset first. What we realize, we, we, I can tell them everything, but unless they're ready to approach you and come for help first and be willing to accept and listen to ideas, then isn't it, we, we can't I'll help. We've we got to wait them to hit rock bottom almost sometimes to be able to pick them back up again in the, in the idea of fitness. But go back to what sort of training stuff we can do. I can, I, like the simplest and easiest, I reckon, one of the best workouts people could do right now if they've got a pair of running shoes and they, they run is go for a run every five minutes, drop down, do five to 10 push-ups, get up and run again. It's, it's, it's all military style, but you're doing basic strength and core work whilst getting some cardio effects to it. So that's the easiest way to think about and it. And you don't need any fancy equipment or anything? No, no, don't need fancy equipment. Um, a lot of the work, you do need strength training. You know, if you want to get to the higher ends of what we call an everyday athlete, like, you know, like just ready for anything, you, need, you do need to do strength training. But what we try and do is people who, <clears throat> there's, there's another relationship with cardio that people have in the world and they hate it. Like for whatever reason, a lot of guys, a lot of people in the world just hate cardio. For, I think because they've been punished, maybe from military backgrounds, maybe from whatever they see it as a punishment, but it's also bloody hard the way they try and go about it. Like they try and go to failure and it's like hard work. Whereas what we try and do is we try and do little circuits that are continuous, but relatively between 60 to 70% of the, of the effort you're doing to keep that and building this base of recovery. Again, a very simple workout. If you go into the gym, um, could do go on the rower, contact two rower, do a 500 meter row. And after you row, get off, do five simple push-ups for guys who can do 15, 20 push-ups, whatever tall. If you can't do push-ups, then we'll think of something else. <laughs> you know, it's very simple, as simple as this. Do 500 meter row, easy effort, like super easy. Um, like you can you can talk still, you can breathe through your nose. In fact, if you want to be able to do it properly, put some water in your mouth, keep your mouth closed, just breathe through your nose. That's a good indication to see how easy you can do it. Then jump off the rower, immediately do like five push-ups, 10 air squats, you know, bodyweight air squats, jump back on the rower, do the same thing again, repeat for about 20 minutes. Sounds boring, monotonous, but you get into this, into this meditate, I get into like a meditation with it. Like in a mindset, can I, it's like a, okay, can I do this again, repeatable. At the end of 20 minutes, you've done a bloody good workout. You've probably rode 3,000 to 5,000 meters. You've done maybe 100 to 150 push-ups and squats, and you get off feeling refreshed and revitalized Instead of beat down and shit, sort of smashed. <laughs> Need to spend the rest of the day on the couch. <laughs> let, let me run this part. Let, let me run this past the two of you then. So, uh, when we're talking about our relationship, and when I think of relationship with food and exercise, for example, and we're talking about how it's a drug. People use food as a drug and exercise as a drug. It's an unhealthy relationship. You know, I'm going to go smash myself and then go and just consume a heap of shit. Well, if you can change your relationship with it and do as you did there, James, and make it enjoyable, make it, you know, it, it's, it's going to be unpleasant to a degree because you've got to get the heart rate up and whatever. But if you can look at your nutrition as cooking is, is part of nutrition, you know, and, and cooking is such a meditative thing to do. It's such a healthy thing to do. You can do it with your partner or your kids or whatever. So once again, if you change your relationship with these things, enjoy going to the supermarket, enjoy picking up and smelling fruits and seeing, seeing how minimal you can touch this food in order to prepare it for a meal. Keep it as close to how it's grown as possible. Keep it as far away from cans and packets and plastic as you can. You know, play around with it and have this, 
really interesting relationship where you're experiencing it. You know, go and, and put on your runners and walk up a hill and actually experience what it's like to walk up that hill and be present with it. It's so different to just going and smashing yourself or just doing it hard. And I think if we can change that that relationship, we're going to go so much further. I, I agree. And that, that's the thing. That's what we, this, this is why we put nutrition last because, you know, it's easier... I reckon it's easier to change someone's religion than it is to change their nutrition habits or their beliefs. <laughs> like, it, you know, because it, it, it's, it's on the same thing. It's, I always joke, particularly with my American buddies, and like when, when, I, when I go into like fitness conferences and I'm working or teaching or presenting, I will always say there's five topics I never talk about. That is guns, politics, religion, nutrition, and kettlebells. Because kettlebells are a similar thing as well, actually, believe it or not. Like, it's one of the most crazy worlds out there. But nutrition is one of those things where like everyone has an opinion. Everyone is right. Even my mother thinks, you know, who's not a nutritional expert, thinks she knows what she's doing. Everyone thinks they, because they put eat every day, they're an expert on food and nutrition. And it's that kind of healthy mindset relation you have to have with food. But like I said, just from our point of view, that we're seeing this now, if they, if they have an unhealthy relationship with food, they get pretty much surety of having an unhealthy relationship with exercise. And until we work with an unhealthy relationship with exercise, we've got no hope of making any indent and making suggestions or improvements around their nutrition. Because they'll believe, they'll, you know, because in the media, it's keto is the biggest thing, or the carnivore diet's the biggest thing. That's one end of the you know, nutrition spectrum. Then you've got the vegans over the other side, and there's no middle ground. No one wants to be in the middle, whereas nutrition should be in the middle. Like there's no one diet that suits everybody because everybody's biochemistry is different. Everyone's physiology is different. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm highly allergic to dairy. Like I have grew up on a dairy farm my entire life and I'm allergic to dairy. My parents and my grandparents try to kill me all the time. Like by like just giving me dairy. It was literally, it's like, you've grown out of this stuff. No, I haven't grown out of this because it's just the way it is. Um, That's what it gets like in nutrition circles. Like someone else who their body agrees really well with dairy and then they'll yeah. go to you and say, we should just fucking have dairy. It's fine. And you're like, we're, we're different. We're allowed to be different and we're allowed to experience things this, differently. So this, is where the, this is where the ego comes in. And, and let's, let's bring the ego into this discussion mm. because the ego is what builds very big muscles. The ego is what gets people imposing their beliefs onto other people. You should do this diet. I think you need to do this. I think you should be more like me. I don't like you when you're different. I don't want you to step outside the parameters that yep. I operate within. I'm uncomfortable with that. So you have to adhere to, to what I'm doing. And it's so toxic. And it, and people get so confused because they they, they overcomplicate it all. And, yep. and if we can just bring it back and simplify it, you know, meditation, uh, people get people don't meditate because they get so confused by it. Where for me, it's just sit down, Focus on your breath. That's all it needs to be. For how long? I don't give a shit. Five what kind of cushion? What time of day? What music yeah, should I have on? Which version of Enya should I have on? How many whale, <laughs> whale mates? Shepard Moon, what a great album that was. <laughs> what, what hibiscus candle do I need? And it's just, it's just sit down, close your eyes, exercise, just go and walk, food. Just keep it as simple as possible. But um, people just want to overcomplicate it. Exactly, and it's just a simple thing. One of the simple, you know, being more mindful with food. I think you, what you said before is great because one of the one of the ways we one of our habit because we have two approaches to, to when we're working with people with nutrition. Once they're ready and in a good place to do it, this is the key thing. We have two pathways. There's the people who love seeing nutrition and food as data, 
and data, you know, the data like looking at calories and stuff, which is great. It's that, I'd always argue that's one of the fastest ways to get quick results. But even when you gain quick results, you've got to go off, you've got to learn to you know, go away from weighing food and counting calories afterwards, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, mm. But then you've got the people who have been so severely hurt and like scared of the scales or weighing food or counting calories, you've got to go down the habit-based approach. So there's, you've got to work out where the people are in the middle, where are they to begin with, which branch do we go down with them to begin with, how do we start here? But all in all, it comes back to better habits. That's the key thing, it's like, okay, we can get you from A to B quickly by knowing your calories and knowing stuff here, but we're gonna bring you back to good habits afterwards to like transition you out of, a nutri- of the, one of these type of things. But there's other people who just start with good habits. One of the best habits we've discovered to be more mindful when it comes to eating and food is after every mouthful you have with a fork, you know, eating, sitting at the table, having food, every time you have a bite, your mouthful, put your fork back on the table and think about your food. Like, just think about it and then pick up the fork, back at, in, eat at, at, at that Shiva some place that I work, it's a, it's a health resort, and they've got um, egg timers on every table. And as soon as you sit down, you've got to turn the egg timer over and the suggestion is don't finish your meal until the before the egg timer runs out. And it's brilliant. Yeah, so you've got to actually stop, being mindful, converse with somebody else, you know, f- forget the food for a minute. Don't just yep. consume it. Give it. Give your stomach time to receive it. You know, experience whatever the drink is that you're having. And, and, and it's... It slows you down. We talk about slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Well, it's, mm-hmm. you know, slowing down really gets us a long way. Um, the I, I came across this TED talk a while ago, and I'm not sure if you've seen it, James, but it was um, where does where does weight go? How do we how do we lose weight? And and what's the science behind where does where does fat go? And it was I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil it for everyone, but it, it leaves via our breath. Breath exactly. And it was amazing, and, and it's like it's about a ten-minute TED talk. It's on um, in the the resources section on my yeah. website for those that are interested. Um, but it was it was amazing. This bloke just said, it "Just if you want to lose weight, it, it goes via your breath, but you got to get your heart rate up a little bit." So that's you know, people take the easy path and they just walk along flat ground. I, I dusted off the pushy the other day, and I rode down the hill to the supermarket. And I had to ride back up the fucker, and I was—I uh, had the jelly legs when I got off, and I was. <laughs> but it was just like I felt a sense of achievement because I'm like, all right, I got out of my comfort zone. I pushed myself, um, and yeah, now I've got to. Well, come it's, to it's, it's, it's exactly right. It's like here's here's the funny thing. Like we, I talk about detail. We always go back to a system of how we work with people, and WWS is the foundation. That's the first thing we look at. Now, what I don't tell people is the fourth element of that is breathing and nasal breathing. Because for exact exact same reason, where does fat, where does weight loss go? It, it's through your breath. Now, we take back to your breath. I, I don't, in terms of meditation, like I'm a, I'm a complete novice. Like I, I think I meditate when I'm in the shower, which I find quite re- relaxing and cathartic. I, when I go for a walk, when I'm, I feel I get into like this flow-like state at certain times. That's where kind of for me is like my meditation. I'd love to learn more about it to, to be brutally honest. I just haven't prioritized it um, enough recently. But we talk about nasal breathing. This is a, a biggie for me, which I found. Like, um, and most people are as well, they're what we call mouth breathers. So if people are constantly mouth breathing, they're constantly over breathing. If they're over breathing all the time through their mouth, it means their shoulders are going up and down like this all the time. It constantly makes them stressed. At the same time, oxygenation isn't able to take place because you need CO2 as part of the whole oxygenation process to like bind, allow oxygen to get into the cells and muscles of the working body. 
But if you're overbreathing too much, you expel too much CO2 and you don't retain enough and your body becomes intolerant to carbon dioxide. So if I tell people straight away that, hey, I think we need to work on your breathing, they think I'm freaking mental because I breathe every single day. Whereas most people don't, they use their mouths to breathe in. Oh, that just dropped in an outhouse. Um, record, it said recording stopped, recording started, and uh, we can't hear you now. Um, but yeah, so I'm surprised so many people are still alive because they just don't breathe properly. And nope. when, I, when I when I say to people, so if you're watching on YouTube, I've got a hand on my chest, a hand on my stomach. When I say to someone, take a deep breath, this is what we see. Yep. And it's all in the top third of the lungs, the smallest part of the lungs. It's all up here. And then relax. I stressed you up. <laughs> and they're, they're holding it all up here. So teaching people, and I have a, a picture of a balloon in your belly, and you got to draw the breath down into the belly mm-hmm. and inflates that balloon. And they just can't get it. It takes weeks for people to reconnect with their diaphragm. But if you watch a yep. baby or a little puppy dog, the only body part that's moving when they're asleep is their stomach. It's just rising and falling. Yeah, it's a retraining so, yeah, process, isn't it? You do things one time. way for so long because I the nose yeah. breathing one's really interesting for me because I've been a mouth breather all my life. And it's literally the last, it's been a bit over a year, maybe 14 months that I've had to start working on it. And it's been a process. You know, I did, it's like consciously reminding yourself constantly throughout the day, shit, I'm breathing through my mouth again. Stop that. Mm-hmm. I've done the mouth tape at night, which is fucking terrifying. The first couple of times that you do yeah. that, you feel like you're going to die, you know, but it's been, um, yeah, a real you process. Know, you know the two, the two, the- the two biggest causes I've found for mouth breathing is, uh, and for, for shallow chest breathing is smoking and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So s- smokers, it's just all into the top part of the chest and anxiety, it's just, I need a breath, I need a breath. So the short, sharp, shallow breaths just into the top third of the lungs. So I can pick straight away who's been a smoker or who's spent years in a state of anxiety. It's also as well that there's a big link and there's studies been done on this of of babies who were bottle fed over breastfed. So, and and I was bottle fed. When you're bottle fed, the the top of your palate doesn't quite develop properly by latching onto the mother's breast and doing that sucking motion, um, which can cause a a narrowing of of the nasal and you start breathing through your mouth. So that's sort of one that kind of resonate with me and it actually changes the structure of your face <laughs> when you breathe through your mouth. It's really interesting stuff. There's a few really good books on it. Um, yeah. Nesta was his name, the last name, Nesta. James Nesta. Yeah. James Nesta yeah. breath. That's, that's the thing. So like, it's funny because in the last like 12 months, breath from James Nesta has become quite big, but like in the, um, Bateco, uh, is it Bateco? I think it's called. Yeah. I, I did that um, course. Japanese. Yeah. Beautical or whatever it's called. I've done that course. Yeah. Doing it for, they've been doing it for years, but just become famous now because James Ness has done it. But then there's another good book I highly recommend anyone reading. It's called The Oxygen Advantage by uh, Patrick McKeown. Uh, he's one of the leading guys in nasal breathing and breath in Europe. Um, and he's been around for the last 10, 15 years or so. Highly recommended. And it's interesting because like just me as an example, I felt so much like me. I've always had str- struggled with like holding my breath. I didn't know why, like as a kid, you know, when you have to like dive to the bottom of the swimming pool, pick up the brick, come back up. I hated that because I couldn't hold my breath for long enough. And like, you know, just you know, in the, playing the games where you hold your breath through the tunnels, I'd always lose. And it was just always this thing like, why can't I hold my breath better? Discovered by a couple of simple tests that I was mostly a mouth breather, had been my entire life. So there's simple tests like, you know, 
you breathe in through your nose, you breathe out through your nose, fully, fully exhaling, pinch your nose and see how long you can hold your breath for and until the first urge to breathing happens. Not just how long you can hold it for, when you, you, you feel like a tightening of the airways or like a something in your stomach, can we? I lasted seven to eight seconds, which is horrendous. The idea should be between 40 seconds plus. And like the difference I went through of going through that period of helping me improve my breathing, completely de-stressed me. Like completely felt, I felt more at ease. Like exercising become, became more effortless in a sense. Uh, and you talk about mouth breathing, like um, taping your mouth up at night. Like I tried that for the first time. I got a bit of like rock tape, the kinesia tape, right? Because I had loads of it here in the house. I thought, right, I'm gonna try this straight away. So I taped up my whole mouth like this. I went, right, I'm gonna do this. Lay in bed, I freaked out. Completely freaked out. I was like, <sighs> like completely like can't do this. I had to rip it off within like a matter of minutes. Like, nope, not happening. And even when I was walking around the house with this tape around my mouth, I was like, nah, doesn't like it at all. I had to build up to it yeah. so, it took me six to 12 months to get to 40 seconds, which I can get to now. But I, my God, that was a learning curve. That was such a learning a really curve. Good, a really good training exercise is to join the army and do some kidnap training where they actually, <laughs> or just go to Brazil or somewhere yep. where you can get kidnaps and, and uh, stick the tape over you. It's perfect. <laughs> Cheap, cheapest way to learn how to breathe. Cheapest way to do it, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, no, for, the, for those boys, for those who are interested in taping the mouth at night, my best tip is get a bit of tape, kinesia tape or anything here, but a thumb width and put it down the center of your mouth. That's so what your I lips did. Can still move. Yeah. There's, there's still, you can, you can open it a bit if you want, but if you relax, it'll stay shut. So there's um, less of the, the freak out than taping your whole face yeah. up. Exactly. Um, James, so it's just Yeah. I've got a question. Um, we've spoken about recovery has, has come up a few times and that kind of theme. At Strength Matters, do you have a particular way that you can measure how recovered someone is? Yeah, heart rate. Heart rate variability? Yeah, no, we don't use HRV. We try and keep it as simple as possible. HRV mm -hmm. is, is useful. Um, if you like all the tech gadgets and stuff and everything is good, but it isn't always that accurate from what I've seen. A lot of people will push it and say, yeah, it's great. But when you look at the top, top level coaches and athletes, they when they have everything monitored to the nth degree, they still don't use HRV to the highest level, even though other people push it to be it. And I've got friends who sell these courses and do these things in HRV, and I, I think it's a useful tool. But what I try and do is keep it as simple as possible. What can we work with that's as simple as possible? So um, you know, as simple as possible is the talk test. How quickly can someone talk again after they've done a bout of exercise? Um, uh, we do the breathing test, how quickly they can come back to breathing. But the best way, everyone's got pretty much a smartwatch or a Fitbit or something these days. Using someone's heart rate is one of the best ways we look at it here to do it. So I'll give you an example. Um, if you go for a 1K run, um, you run 1K, monitor your heart rate, see what the heart rate, stick at a specific heart rate. Um, just say it's, we use the formula called, God, now I'm getting too technical. Hang on, let me, let me no, make, let me make this simple. Come on. Okay, it's okay, technical. So what I wanna see is people, is that their ability to recover with heart rate. So I'm gonna go for, we're gonna go for a run straight away. I've never seen you run before, but we know you can run. You're gonna do a 1K run. Then I want you to recover until your heart rate gets down to 160 minus your age. So it's specific and unique to you, yep. okay? So like, you know, so that's just nice and simple. Someone who's 40 years old, 160 minus, okay, so you're gonna do your run, you're gonna recover down to 120 beats per minute, 
and you're gonna run that 1K again. And I wanna keep you going, right, to see what your times are for each of those 1K runs, and then we're gonna time your rest period as well to see what happens. So what I wanna do in an ideal world is see you run 1K, say, let's just say, I don't know, um, like it's three minutes, just, 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 just make it up here now. It's three, three, you can run 1K in three minutes, great. Fantastic here, great. You are gonna recover and it takes you to get 120 in uh, two minutes. Great, so we've got three minute and two minute recovery window. I wanna see how many times you can do three minutes and two minutes. Yeah. Most people will run 3K, uh, three minutes, recover two minutes, they'll, they'll suddenly run 3.30, recover 2.30, it's, it's like an upward trend all the way. Whereas what I wanna see is identical periods of recovery along the way. So, and that is something you gotta train and help people with. So like, I wanna see your rest and time need to be almost identical, like less than 5% difference along the way. Once they get above 5%, we stop and pull you back and we need to work on recovery. That's a simple way to look at those sort of things. But it comes back to easy training. The only way to get someone good in like that sort of recoverability is to have a really good, strong aerobic system. And an aerobic system is built by doing lots of volume at low intensity. Not high intensity, low intensity. So if we're talking heart rate when it comes to that, we're looking at 180 minus your age. So if you can go for a run, and most people hate me when they do this for the first time. Say you're out there, you wanna go for a run. I challenge you to run at 180 minus your age. So again, if you're 40 years old, Go, go at 140, um, try and stick to a running pattern here. You'll feel so slow. You'll feel like it's not doing anything at all. And that's the issue. Most people can't run with such a low heart rate, which means they're recovering, ability to recover and replenish, you know, the aerobic system and oxygen in the body is, is not there. You cannot replenish APT fast enough at that, that rate here. That's the secret. That is the biggest secret I can give you now. And it doesn't mean it's running, swimming, cycling, whatever you do, use the same, it's the math formula, 180 minus your age. Try and stay at that low intensity and build volume. And you'll find you'll get quicker at that speed over time, which shows your recoverability is better. Then you go and do the hard stuff afterwards because you can recover faster and go harder into it in a non-technical slow, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that, that, it, literally, and then most people, so if you take the best, let, let's take Kipoji, the guy who runs sub two hours on the marathon uh, with the help of all the cars and stuff in Austria. Like he's, he holds the marathon record anyway. The secret, for, people always talk about your anaerobic threshold, which is the point of no return, where like you want a high anaerobic threshold to push as hard as you can, as fast as you can here. He has a high anaerobic threshold. But guess what? People don't talk about this, what we call this aerobic threshold. Like, so Kipoji is like the elite of the elite, has a different, his aerobic threshold is so close to his anaerobic threshold that he's running five and a half minute miles aerobically, which is easy for him, mm. which makes him allow him to run four 30 minute miles for the marathon, right? Right. Most everyday people, their gap is not like this, it's like this. So what happens is they do their workouts, instead of doing it in like, you know, using oxygen as the main fuel, you know, in the aerobic, you know, the aerobic system is their end prime source of energy and fats as their main fuels, right? They come into what we call sugar burners, into this big zone of death in the middle here, and they work out here. So they become so great at sugar burning that they can't replenish, you know, the fuel fast enough in this whole entire time. So this is where I'd argue that 99% of people doing HIIT workouts Everyday people, yes, it's fun. I get it, they enjoy it. It's a bit of fun. And you should always do it for enjoyment sometimes. Yeah. 
But if you improve, want to improve to get better, if you're training what we call the shitty zone of nothing in the middle here, you just teach yourself to get worse and feel worse. <laughs> the and shitty like zone the of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's pretty. It's the zone of death. We call it. Like it's like it's a no-go zone. Whereas if I can train somebody to bring this aerobic threshold up slowly, they'll get faster and it'll be easier and more effortless. And that's the secret to people over 30. They, they look at these guys, the elites, thinking they need to do these hard runs, these hard tempo runs, these, these sprints, all these things. No, you haven't earned the right to get to that level yet. Because- I have. <laughs> yes. Do you think James is passionate about this? <laughs> I think he's into it. I think he's in the right he field. I think he's in the right industry. He sounds into it to me. He's, he's like, you can hear it coming out of me. He's just like, and, and that's what makes him good at what he does. Is yeah. that it's the passion that's driving him, and it's 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 a beautiful thing to watch and to hear and to to, to experience. Well, it, it is. It's, it's also hits home to me because like this is the, the aerobic stuff in the last five years is what I discovered. It's, it's funny actually because I discovered like I grew up playing cricket, rugby, sport, running up and down mountains all day long. When I was in, when I was living down in Manaliza, Nick, can you remember the time? Like I was literally, I was in the worst shape of my life, like literally. And I remember going for a run um, down to Frankston, from down, 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 you know, down, literally down the hill into Frankston, down to the water thing with Vicky and uh, Leanne at the time. And like I couldn't keep up with them. That was my first time I'd run in like years. And I was like, what the hell's going on? Because I've been lifting weights, I've been traveling, not taking care of myself. And you know, like I was a fitness professional, couldn't run. I'm like, what the mm. hell is going on here? Like, but I used to be able to do it. So this is why the passion's almost come back here. Because I'll never forget that day when Ricky and Leanne looked at me going, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I can't freaking run. <laughs> because I'd become so detrained. It wasn't, it wasn't healthy. I wasn't in a healthy place or, or mindset or anything at all like that. But it's interesting, but just, just quickly to finish on that Kipojo thing. Like the elite, take him as a very top example of running. What people don't realize and what people don't see, like again, like the iceberg effect is that they see his hard runs, his tempo runs, everything he's doing here, running five minute miles. He's earned the right to get there because guess what he did from the age of five years old upwards? He ran to school one way, 10K, and then he ran home again, 10K. He did that every single day to go to school. And you don't, you don't sprint to school, do you, every day? He does, it, it was, became like a normal, easy, effortless run for him. So he made it effortless over time. So he built this big aerobic base that allows him to go at the highest levels now of doing what he wants to do. And people don't, people skip the whole 20, 30 years development in the, in the start to try and skip to the fancy stuff at the end. And that's, health doesn't work like that. Health is not Over, work. Over, Overnight success takes years to achieve. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great. There's so much that to take away from this. I think if you think about actionable steps for everyone listening is those three sevens are, are so important. I think if you talk, people love these actionable steps and these takeaways. And that's one that if you're maybe falling short in one, two or three of those areas, being able to bring them up, as James had says, based on the data that they have at Strength Matters is going to make drastic improvements to your health. And, you know, I've learned so much in this podcast. A lot of people who know me are probably like, why is he so interested? But I'm over 30. I know it's really hard to believe, but I am. Um, <laughs> your handicap's over 30 as well. <laughs> yeah, no, Nick, Nick. <laughs> Probably is now. Well, well, it's interesting because you guys have gone into lockdown. You know, I think pretty much the whole of Australia has almost gone into lockdown, hasn't it? Uh, in the last couple of, couple of days or weeks and everything. What, we, what we've seen, just from our experience over here, 
we, we joke about it behind the scenes, call it the COVID-19 pounds people put on because people have put on so much weight um, over the time because their habits have changed. Yeah. Like, um, you believe it or not, they did a but massive gym, gyms have locked down as well. It's, it's, I, I yeah. was at the, this time, like, what was it, January, March last year, I was probably the fittest and healthiest I've been since I left the army and, and just feeling amazing. Nutrition was on point and everything. I was going to these really cool um, cardio Pilates work, yeah, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. So it was like you're on the reformers, but then you're up doing some push-ups and then you're doing squats and kettlebells were there too, James. Shout out to kettlebells. <laughs> and um, and then COVID hit and all of a sudden I couldn't go to do that training anymore and you, know, you start just falling in a slump, you slow down. And so it all just sort of started falling off and here we are. <laughs> It's, it, no, but it's, it's, it's interesting though because the, you talk about unhealthy relationships with food and exercise, everything else in the, in the show, and what we just talked about here now is like, well, what we discovered in COVID is people, people's unhealthy relationships just got exacerbated yeah. because they were going to their classes, gyms, and these, they were like their havens, like sanctuary to go to here. You take those places away, you realize that people haven't got a plan or a system in place to help them do this. Now, the yeah. people who have got a healthier, I'm not saying you have the same with you, Nick, now I'm saying the sense of people, well, it's about principles rather than about the tools. Like, if you're gonna exercise, well, okay, the gyms aren't there, cool, what can I do in, in the, what can I do different? Okay, maybe go for a run, um, you know, or do some body weight stuff, change your mindset. Don't focus on the gym work, focus on something yeah. completely different. Well, you gotta adapt. When the, when the circumstances change, you gotta adapt or die. So, yeah, we've got, yeah. I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to back onto a, a nature park now with hills everywhere. So I'm just going to go walking up hills, and it's great. So that's it. It's I also, said, I think, there's an element to it when we go to whether it's the gym or we're going to a yoga class or we're going to whatever it is. There's this, this social connection, and us human beings we crave connection. And a lot of people who are in lockdown at the minute are struggling because we miss that social connection. So we start connecting to food. In, in more of an unhealthy way, so. Yeah, exactly. And so the one tip I can give people now is to folk, look at the steps, because the study that came out in October last year, they were tracking a load of GB athletes who were going to the Olympics, which, is, which has just happened now. And what they found was the training stayed identical, but they all put on between one to 3% of body fat. Now in terms of elite athletes, that's huge. The reason was, because their day-to-day life had been affected by the whole lockdown. They weren't walking more, they weren't being more active throughout the day. So even though they're doing the same training, the same training protocols, their body fat percentage went up because they weren't as active and as moving as much as possible during the whole course of the day. So if you can, get your steps in as much as possible. That's my best tip to you know, focus on that. If you're in stuck in lockdown. Water. Get, get your steps sleep. in, get Rest. your water in, get your sleep in. Rest, hydrate and move. And breathe. Yes. And breathe. And breathe. Oh, don't forget to breathe. James, thank you no. so much for joining us today. This has been a wealth of information, this podcast. I'd love for you just to, if anyone listening wants to reach out, check out what you're doing, check out the podcast, where can they do that? Yeah, cool. Guys, if you, yeah, if you want to listen to any more stuff, we've got like a million one episodes of our podcast. It's now called Fit Over 30. Uh, just Google and Apple, Spotify, Amazon now, which just came out. So if you guys want to listen there. And again, strengthmatters.com. Uh, if you want to see what we're doing as a company. And then for me personally, if you just want to see like me playing cricket, snowboarding, doing random shit, eating food and burgers, uh, it's on the uh, James Breeze on Instagram. That's the best way to find me. Love it. Love it. Thank you, mate. Nico, thank you as always.
You go Thank back you. and tell, tell those ghost stories around the fire, all right? <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, <laughs> get another log. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you all next week. Peace. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you.